In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes we know a character so well from literature, maybe even scripture, or even a television show, that we forget the significance of that person or why they even are part of the story. For example, one of my favorite characters from childhood was Mr. Spock from Gene Roddenberry's science fiction television show, Star Trek. More than likely, all of you know the typical farewell that Spock gave, live long and prosper. And we might even be able to do the Vulcan salute, making a V with our right hand. And some of you might even know that Spock's mother was human, making him only half Vulcan. But do we really understand who and why that character is there or is even part of the plot or what significance he happens to have to the narrative of the series. I think we sometimes do the same thing with St. John the Baptist. We go straight to the picture of this odd, wild man in the wilderness preaching something about repentance while wearing camel hair and eating an eccentric diet of honey and locusts. He probably reminds us of one of those street preachers that we sometimes see with the sandwich boards that say, the end is near or repent. And in doing so, we forget the truly significant role that John played in the whole narrative of the gospel. And to do that, we must go back to the beginning of the gospel according to Luke. John the baptizer was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of whom were aged individuals. Zechariah was a priest, and as was the custom of the temple when it was still standing, about twice a year he would go to Jerusalem to serve as a priest for a week at the temple. Now, one of the curious things that was done was casting lots to see who would go into the temple itself to offer incense during some of the times designated for prayer. This was more than likely a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so you can imagine that Zechariah was both honored, but also probably slightly nervous as well, that he had been chosen, or perhaps because of the casting of lots, that Yahweh had chosen him, appointed him to be the priest to come into the temple that very day. So, in goes Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is performing his duty when suddenly an angel, Gabriel by name, who we will encounter several times in this whole epic story, is with him. Gabriel has a message for Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth is going to become pregnant with a son, even though they are both advanced in age, and that his son will be a prophet, even with the power and spirit of Elijah, one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And then Gabriel gives him some clues and some instructions. Now, Zechariah is probably like many of us. We see the messenger, we hear the message, 
but we really don't know what to make of it. And it isn't so much that we are questioning the message as much as we want to know the details. How will this happen? How will I know that this thing is to be? And Gabriel gave him a sign. And that sign was this. Until the baby is born, and until he is named John, Zachariah will be rendered mute, unable to speak. Time passes. Elizabeth is found to be with child. The Virgin Mary, who we are told is a cousin of Elizabeth's, even comes to visit her after Gabriel has come to her, after Gabriel has come to Mary, and announces that she too will have a child. But when Mary approaches Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit already at work with and in Elizabeth and the baby in her womb who will be John, the baby leaps for joy upon hearing Mary's voice. And not long after that, about three months or so, Elizabeth gives birth to John. In this passage, when John is to be circumcised, there is a whole dialogue or argument that ensues about the naming of John because that is not one of the family names. And eventually Zechariah takes a tablet and remember, he, he's, he can't speak, he's been rendered mute, writes out that his name is John, at which point his tongue is freed and he begins to prophesy himself. And our canticle that we recited this morning is what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Something that is critical for us to hear in this canticle is the combination of these two verbs, visited and redeemed. God has come. And when God comes, everything changes. When God visits his people, when he visits us, the world is put back to right, to the way it is supposed to be. Redemption occurs. Salvation comes. We are free from the hate of our enemies, and a light shines in the darkness. And this is what Zechariah is proclaiming. But it is also what his son John will proclaim as well. John, using the imagery from Isaiah, also shows how everything is to be set right and to be set right to prepare for the Lord's coming. Not only are the valleys and the mountains to be made equal and passable for all, but everyone, all of us, together, shall see this salvation of God. Part of our responsibility is to not only join with Zechariah and John the Baptist in this proclamation, but to also see and show others where the darkness is becoming light and how the world is being healed and made whole. Sometimes it is difficult for us to see. 
We have to learn to see and to recognize this salvation breaking into the world. And when we do see God breaking in, we must then tell it. Proclaim it out just like these prophets have done. It is our own telling of it to others, particularly to those who do not know our blessed Lord, that helps others come to this very same knowledge. So what does salvation and redemption really look like in this world? What can you point to and say, this, this is where God is working salvation out in the here and now. Can you see it? Can you see it? It's not that difficult to see once we have trained ourselves to look for it. God's salvation is worked out in relationships that are restored. God's salvation is meted out when true justice is rendered. God's salvation is seen and known when communities come together to help each member who is in need. Can you see God working in this world? But one more thing. What role are you actively taking to be an instrument through which God can bring forth this redemption and salvation? As a Christian, are you not only proclaiming salvation, but are you also acting it out? As a Christian, are you performing mercy to everyone? As a Christian, are you bringing light to everyone whom you know who is dwelling in darkness, dwelling in the shadow of death? and setting them upright on the paths of peace, on straight and smooth ways. When we embody the redemption that we have received and show it back to this world, we become prophets ourselves. That is part of what identifies us as Christians. It is our calling and it is our duty to tell the world. And what do we tell them? We tell them that blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's part of what we call evangelizing, telling out the good news of Jesus and his love. The collect for the feast of the nativity of Saint John the Baptist. Almighty God, by whose providence thy servant John the Baptist was wonderfully born and sent to prepare the way of thy Son, our Savior, by preaching repentance. Make us so to follow his doctrine and his holy life that we might truly repent according to his preaching and after his example, constantly speak the truth, boldly rebuke vice, and patiently suffer 
for the truth's sake. Through the same, thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.